How's it going, everyone? It's time for another edition of Strictly Business, presented to you exclusively by adfreeshows.com and Podcast Heat. I'm John Alba, and this is episode two of our public debut here with Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff. So without further ado, let's bring in the man of the hour, Mr. Bischoff himself. Eric, we're public, baby. We're public. We're going public. Not in the way I wish we were, but kind of technically, we're still going public. You can say that. <laughs> it's uh, it's really great to be able to bring this podcast to a much bigger audience. It really became a hit with ad-free shows. Last week, we rolled it out publicly for the first time with our friend Mike Weber, who I thought was such a fantastic guest uh, and told us all about the work he's been doing with Fight. But now we're here and we are rocking and rolling week in, week out on Strictly Business. I want to ask you, Eric, I want to tee you up properly what can fans who might be new to this podcast expect from Strictly Business? Well, before we get into that, I also want to thank our, our, our family mm-hmm. over at adfreeshows.com yeah. because, you know, it was their input over at adfreeshows.com that made, you know, us realize that, wow, this is actually something that could probably work. So um, thank you so much for that support and, and, and being so vocal about it because it gave us confidence to do what we're doing now. So thank you to adfreeshows.com family members. Um, yeah. If you're new to this show, what can you expect? Uh, I guess what I hope people will get more often than not is some really interesting guests from the, the business side of the entertainment business, specifically those who have either involvement in the professional wrestling industry on the business side of it uh, or people who, while they may not have a, a, a role in professional wrestling in terms of the entertainment industry uh, are in positions like programming and ad sales and, you know, arena management and all the various components like Mike Weber was last week, you know, you know, the, the pay-per-view component of the professional wrestling industry has been one of the pillars of its success really since the eighties uh, or early nineties and now eighties. Uh, so being able to talk to people who are immersed in that industry, whether or not they have their fingers in the professional wrestling pie or not, I think we can learn a lot. And I think, our listeners and the viewers and fans and supporters of professional wrestling will have more information and, and a different perspective. And my hope is that as a result, they'll appreciate the genre even more than they already do. My favorite part about doing this show with you is whenever you clearly are so invested in a conversation that it's evident that you're learning. And if you're learning, I know that means that our audience is learning in the process. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully- that's a fun part, man, discovering. And and here's the, the other cool thing about this particular podcast. And by the way, this is the business of entertainment. We just happen to be talking fairly regularly about the professional wrestling component of it because that's been my background and your interest. But this is, is probably, and this is what's really entertaining. One of our guests in, in the next couple of weeks uh, is uh, a musician who was just nam- nominated again. He's a multi-Grammy Award winner already and was just recently nominated. And we're going to talk to him about the parallels in the, within the music industry and the professional wrestling industry because music creates emotion. Mm-hmm. Wrestling creates emotion. Now, they manifest differently <laughs> because of the nature <laughs> of the product. But the elements of emotion and building emotion is probably more interesting to wrestling fans than they realize right now. Tune in. Tune in. You'll hear about it. We've had professional storytellers on the show in the past. We've had people from independent wrestling promotions. Uh, We had Mike Weber, as he said, last week. It's a really, really fascinating Executives from uh, NBC Universal Streaming. Which was awesome. That was one of our first episodes, and it was awesome. Go back in our archives if you haven't on adfreeshows.com, and you can check us out every week here. And weeks where Eric and I don't have a guest, we'll be discussing different elements of the industry. We've talked about current events as they happened, if they pique Eric's interest or if they're getting everyone talking. Uh, or we talk about some more general discussions about the industry, like what we're going to be doing here today on Strictly Business. But if you have not subscribed yet, please make sure you do so already. This is dropping every single week on Eric's 
83 weeks feed. So if you're subscribed to the 83 weeks feed right away, you will get that. And I'd also be remiss, Eric, before we hop into our conversation, if I didn't mention uh, your book rollout has been amazing, man. How's all that been going? It's really cool. Um, but I'm going to be honest. It's also, I'm, I'm a little, and I don't know why, because it's a great book. I finally was able to sit down and read it cover to cover last night. Because over the last couple of weeks, of course, Guy Evans and I have been going back and forth before the actual launch, you know, polishing it, making sure every comma was in the right place and all of that. And and I've been reading the book, you know, like I started out in chapter 13. And then a couple of days later, he'd send me, Guy would send me, okay, take a look at chapter five. So the the way the, all of the contents of the book was, was, you know, again, this was a result of eight months or a year's worth of work. But seeing it on paper for the first time, I was kind of like bouncing around in my own timeline. And and it was hard to get a feel for the, the book from cover to cover when you're looking at segments of it kind of out of sequence. But last night I finally read it and I'm so proud of it. So proud of the work that Guy did because while literally every word in the book is they're my words, right? There's, it wasn't like I'd said, Oh, I woke up that morning and I was pissed. And then guy said, nah, I don't like that. Let's call it something else. You know, it wasn't any of that. Um, but it was really, really well done. And I think guy did such an artful job of presenting the last 15 years of my life within the wrestling industry, but really juxtaposing that against what has become a really interesting journey for me over the last five or six years in particular, about really learning to become grateful for so many of the things that I did and was able to be a part of is a better way to say that. Um, it's, it's just a journey. That's it. It's not just a wrestling book. It's a, it's a journey about one guy who's, you know, getting to that point in his life where he can sit back and kind of look back and decide what was good and what wasn't. And, and I've learned how to really appreciate things that I didn't appreciate before. And that's really what the book is all about. Well, I cannot wait to take a deep dive into Grateful. If you haven't, guys, get your hands on it now. Congratulations to you, Eric. It's a 15-year odyssey these past 15 years for you. You've been face-to-face with the likes of Conrad Thompson, Chris <laughs> Eagle, and now, unfortunately, you're looking off across against me. So I'm stuck with you. You're stuck with me. But I love doing the show with you, and I'm grateful for it. You want to talk some business, Eric? You ready to get down to it? Fired up. Let's do it. So this week's episode, I thought it would be awesome to pick your brain on celebrity and outside involvement in professional wrestling. The impetus for this, we saw what Logan Paul was able to do uh, at the Saudi Arabia show, Crown Jewel for WWE, that caught everyone's attention. And he went super viral when he took a video of himself doing a frog splash to the outside against Roman Reigns, where he main evented. And everyone was talking about what a superstar Logan Paul looked like. So. There has to be significant value in celebrity involvement and bringing in these outside names to the industry. But I want to take a deeper dive into why it's so valuable to professional wrestling. So you're someone who has ventured into this territory multiple times over the course of your career. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. When did it first become an idea for you that, okay, we can incorporate pop culture more into this crazy world that is pro wrestling? You know, honestly, John, for me, now this is looking back, okay? This probably wasn't occurring to me in the moment, you know, going back to the 90s. Um, But pop culture was always a thing as far back as I can remember in my teens, at least I probably wasn't paying attention as a little kid, but you know, I go back to being a fan in Minneapolis, being a fan of AWA and Vern Gagne would constantly bring in professional football players from the NFL. Cause you know, Vern had a lot of deep connections to the Minnesota Vikings and the university of Minnesota uh, athletic association and all that 
So, you know, every, every time I turned around, there was a celebrity of sorts um, that was a part of my weekly wrestling fix in Minneapolis. And then you, you know, fast forward now into the eighties and look at, you know, what Vince McMahon did in the WWE with Liberace and, you know, so many of the celebrities that, you know, were a big part of some of the early WrestleManias, you know, Cindy Lauper, Mr. T come on that, that it all existed previously. Uh, I don't know what year WrestleMania five was, but you know, we're going back a long time now. And I think in those cases during that period of time, let's call it from, you know, seventies into the eighties, you know, when cable television exploded and, and, and WWE was becoming a, a national thing instead of a regional thing. And Vince McMahon had this vision of becoming mainstream entertainment as opposed to the local territory mentality that was so prevalent for since the beginning of time prior to that for all intents and purposes. <clears throat> but I think at that time, we're talking about again, seventies, eighties, it was getting attention, getting the media who wouldn't normally talk about professional wrestling because talking about professional wrestling was akin to talking about porn. Mm. Not quite as bad, just a <laughs> notch or two up. You know, if you notice, you think back to when you were a kid, Playboy magazine was always eye level, but, you know, pro wrestling, you know, world, you know, or whatever <laughs> Bill Apter's titles were. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, they were down at the bottom of the rack, right? <laughs> they were getting hit with mops all night, <laughs> you know, when they were cleaning the store. And I, I think some of the, in the beginning, during that period of time, bringing in, prominent celebrities was really a mechanism to help mainstream the product so that media outside of your traditional wrestling media, which at that time basically didn't exist, um, would start paying attention to your product. And the real reason you wanted to achieve that was because advertisers and sponsors would start looking in your product differently if they saw big name celebrities that they were used to seeing in general entertainment associating with what was typically a non-media event. All of a sudden that non-media event is now a media event and becomes more valuable. And I think that logic, that strategy was prevalent all the way up until, and again, I, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due and not that it hadn't been done before. I don't want to suggest that other promoters, before had used celebrities and professional football players in matches. But I think to be, you know, to be honest, mainstream media probably didn't know about it until again, WWE uh, brought in some NFL players. I don't even remember what WrestleMania that was. Lawrence Taylor, for example, Lawrence Taylor was as, as hot in many respects in, in, during that heyday as Dennis Rodman was when I used Dennis Rodman, you know, in sure. the late nineties. When Rodman was in the middle of the NBA playoffs, <laughs> he, he played basketball one night, and come over and wrestle with me the other. And then we're getting a look at, you know, LT, you know, going back to uh, whatever. WrestleMania whatever, 11. Yeah. So it's, it, it's, I think it's changed. And now look where we are today. And I'm sorry, I'm, you know, talking so much here. Cause I'm sure you have questions and I'm not letting you ask them. It's one of the, it's one of the casualties of doing a show with me. If you're talking yes. to me about something I like, I just don't shut the hell up and I'm sorry, but I Nothing think if you look now, because you, you brought it up, you know, I think Logan Paul, bad bunny previously are now going from, Oh wow. Big celebrity performers that actually bring a tremendous amount of social media following. They're actually like, look awesome in the ring. I mean, it's pretty amazing. So what started out as kind of a media play has ended up being athletes. It's crazy. I, I was going to ask you about that later on, but since you brought it up, I may as well now. It's almost as if the standard for what a celebrity contributes to a wrestling event has changed now. There is an expectation that if a celebrity is going to be involved in a wrestling show, that if they're going to get physical, they got to look good. They can't look like a celebrity uh, any average Joe who's never stepped foot in a wrestling ring, they have to be able to go. And we saw the amount of training that went into Bad Bunny. 
We saw the amount of training that went into Logan Paul and look what the payoff was, even to a lesser extent, Stephen Amell a few years ago, too, who I thought did a great job. For you, on the outside looking in, seeing how that bar has been raised, what kind of impression does that make on you? And how does it regulate the status quo of bringing celebrities in from that point forward? You know what's really funny is, again, I mean, you look at some of the celebrities that I used in WCW when during that period of time where WCW was really hot. I mean, we had Charles Barkley on WCW. We had other people on WCW, but we, we were floundering before Nitro, so it didn't really matter, right? Um, but it, in Nitro, for example, Dennis Rodman, I brought him up earlier. Dennis looked great compared to what celebrities typically would look like right. when, they, when they perform. Dennis Rodman was kind of a freak in that regard. He was heads and tails above most, but... You know, Kevin Green was right there behind him. You know, Steve Mongo McMichael, you know, who wrestled pretty much full time. He didn't just make an appearance. He ended up wrestling full time. And, you, you know, we can, you know, dissect his wrestling skills in the ring, but he was a great performer and he was committed to it. Um, and, and, and I, for one, will also put over some of the stuff that Steve McMichael, you know, Mongo really did in the ring. I think the only, you know, hiccups from time to time was when Steve, you know, tried to do too much and was doing things he wasn't 100% comfortable with yet. But, you know, it kind of changed. Celebrities went from the Liberace version, hi, everybody, I'm here, to let's get in the ring and, and bang. Let's, let's, let's make this fun. And now we're looking at Bad Buddy and Logan Paul, and I think – the evolution that we've seen has manifested something that I didn't think would ever happen. Whereas before, in my experience, going and getting Dennis Rodman and getting, you know, whomever, Jay Leno. Well, Jay Leno was a little different. But getting any of these other celebrities, you know, it was, you know, it was a negotiation. I had to make it really attractive for them. It was a financial decision as well as, hey, this would be fun or, hey, I know this guy in WCW. I kind of want to do something with him. But at the end of the day, we were, how should I say this? We were courting said that, celebrity. Exactly. Exactly. And that's now, actually. I think because of Bad Bunny and Logan Paul, you're going to have the next generation of hot celebrities. And can you think of any two hotter celebrities in terms of their social media impact and their cultural positioning? Than Bad Bunny and Logan Paul. Now you're now because they set such a phenomenal example and had so much success. I think you're going to have celebrities going. Well, I want to do that. I want to do what Bad Bunny did. I want to do what Logan Paul did. And if you're Paul Levesque on the other end of the phone, you're going to be able to essentially say, "Well, cool. We'd love to have you do that." And here's what it's going to take. And now you've got people aspiring to be in that position as opposed to doing it as kind of a favor or maybe for fun. And and what time with WrestleMania going to Los Angeles this coming year too, the opportunities are incredible on that front. But you, you brought up a really good point that I wanted to tee you up on. Whereas in the mid to late 90s, you guys recognized, hey, celebrities can bring a lot to us. I think there is somewhat of a paradigm shift there where now celebrities recognize there is value in professional wrestling to what it can do towards their brand. What do you think a celebrity, obviously you're not in their shoes, but in theory, what do you, what kind of value do you think pro wrestling can offer a celebrity who might want to dip their toes into that? I think one of the things that wrestling has always uh, been able to offer is a very unique, loyal, passionate audience. Now that audience is typically male. Now this is all changing, right? I don't spend, you know, days every week studying ratings demographics. So I'm, I'm generalizing here, but I think I'm pretty accurate. You know, we're still talking about a product that is generally males, 25 to 54. I know the target audience is 18 to 49 and that's what everybody likes to talk about. But if you look at the, probably the core of the audience is probably 25 to 54, if I'm right. And male, almost probably depending on, which audience you're looking at, whether it's WWE or AEW, you're probably looking at 60, 40 male. And 
you're talking about a socioeconomic demographic, and that's the one thing we don't hear much about, right, in the peripheral wrestling media, as I politely refer to it, um, because this is a podcast, and it's a sophisticated environment here. This isn't like my typical down in the, in the trenches, 83 weeks, where I just get gritty as heck. Um, I'm going to try to raise my game here for our advertisers. So we have a more sophisticated audience for the show. We need to have a more sophisticated presentation. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's also a great demo for anybody that's in the movie industry, whether you're promoting a movie. And if you go back and you look at the history of advertising and professional wrestling, which would be a great subject, by the way, someday for strictly business. But one of the, one of the things that really kept professional wrestling afloat, I think through the eighties and the nineties was the advertising that came from movie studios. Because if it's an action film, which typically are, there's more of them than there are romantic comedies, for example. Um, but, the, and they usually came out in the summertime, right? Um, a lot of ad dollars were spent on Chuck Norris and Sylvester Stallone and Steven Seagal and Rob Van Dam movies. Did I say Rob Van Dam? I meant John <laughs> Van Dam. <laughs> uh, hey, Rob, that one's for you, brother. Sure, he'd love a Rob Van Dam movie. That's that would work. People would watch. But now, what does that mean today? That means today, if you're an up and coming action star, I don't know, kind of like not The Rock because he's no longer up and coming. He up and came and went. He's he's at the mountaintop. There's no more coming and going anywhere. Um, he he's he, he's got a permanent residence there as the yes. highest paid movie star in the world. Last I checked. But um, it's a great environment for an up-and-coming actor or a studio with a movie that they really want to break and they really believe in that has a very same demographic composition as professional wrestling does. It's a yeah. great home for that. Now, we've seen Bad Bunny do it. He's music. Logan Paul's just Logan Paul, social media. But I don't think it's going to be long before we see some up-and-coming, you know, action star doing what bad bunny did in and logan paul has done because it's a great place to do it there's also the social aspect where wwe aw these big bigger wrestling brands have pretty good social outreach and i would say that there are opportunities for these celebrities to maximize that outreach when they step in a ring and what do i mean by that well take a look at this graphic here uh, regarding Bad Bunny and his Google trends. You see that spike right there, Eric? That, mm -hmm. that spike, that is the most amount of interest that, that number 100 represents. This is when they had the most interest in terms of search terms on Google. And if you look at that date there, April 11th to April 17th, 2021, uh, that would date back to WrestleMania when Bad Bunny had his match with Damian Priest against the Miz. That's really, that's really in interesting. So look at the relevance in search terms right there. It's not even close compared to some of the others. And this is a guy who is selling out stadiums everywhere he goes. But it was his work with WWE that sparked the most interest. And maybe he was able to leverage that as well. And Again, you see there, I believe he was in the Royal Rumble this past year. So if you were to go to earlier in 2022, right there around January, that's when the Royal Rumble was. So you see a spike in the interest in Bad Bunny because he appeared in the Royal Rumble. What do you make of stuff like that? I, I think it just supports everything we just discussed. I, I think at some point, some data analyst at a movie studio um, is or, or television network is going to go, okay, well, we're, we're, we're building a star because the entertainment business, movies, television, they build stars just like professional, well, not just like professional wrestling does, but building stars is important. And, and I, I think it's not going to be long before you have some data analysts looking at trends, just like you presented here on Strictly Business, thanks to uh, our producer, Steve Kaufman, uh, and, and you for finding that information that's that just supports everything we just said right hey if you want to get your music over and hey bad bunny i know it's gonna sound crazy i know i'm pretending i'm bad bunny's manager okay hey bad bunny look you're rocking it you're selling out arenas 
really, you, you've got your audience. You were, we are great, but we kind of want to grow it. So I got an idea. Let's expose you and your music to an entire audience. One of the biggest worldwide audiences of any genre in the world, all over the world for that matter. We're going to get you involved in the WWE. Now, Bad Bunny's going to go, I can't speak Spanish. So he's going to say something like this, but he'll say in Spanish, are you crazy? What are you thinking? Wrestling. I'm a musician. I'm a, I'm a, no, I'm not a wrestler. No, but Bunny, sit down and look at these numbers. Ooh, what if we get 25% or 10% or 2% of that audience over there? We get 2 or 10 or 5% of their audience, and we get to bring them over to our side. And then the next time you're touring in their, their cities or in their countries, in this case, you've got a bigger fan base, which you know what that means, Bunny, right? We're bigger. That's what that conversation is going to sound like, only in Spanish. And on top of that, WWE was promoting his tour as well. It's free promotion for the tour, and you're pushing tickets through that. That's huge. And if you're saying to me, well, John, Bad Bunny is a mega star. He supersedes everything. He's an outlier. Well, let's let's look at Logan Paul's trends right now from the last 12 months alone as uh, we pull those up. And Logan is one of those guys where you fast you look back rather to that first peak, which is January, which is when word first came out that he was going to be working with WWE. That second big peak there is in April. What's in April, Eric? WrestleMania. And then that third highest peak, the next one there uh, it was SummerSlam, and then the most recent one being Crown Jewel. Interesting. And I think some, and I think some of those other peaks, peaks probably coincided with the announcements. Mm -hmm. Or just involvement in the show, where he may not have been in a match, but all of a sudden we know he's going to become part of WWE. There was a lot of chatter about that prior to some of those big peaks. Absolutely. So this is not an outlier. And then I I even took a look, too, at Ronda Rousey's, because Ronda Rousey was somebody that crossed over from the UFC world into, obviously, being a relatively full-time WWE superstar. And her absolute peaks were in January of 2018 what happened in january of 2018 she made her surprise debut at the royal rumble and that was her highest her next highest was wrestlemania that year april these are not coincidental trends eric oh no i don't i, I absolutely don't think you'd have to be kind of stubborn um and choosing to be ignorant in, in the true definition meaning lack of information or knowledge um to ignore that it is. You've got three good examples there. And and again, I think that just backs up that the, the point or the thought that in the future, you're going to probably see more and more celebrity involvement, but you're going to see higher and higher qualities of participation and, and, and depth of participation. Mm -hmm. Because keep, you know, keep in mind, you know, back in the day, yeah, you'd bring in a celebrity, but you couldn't really do much with them because a, they weren't capable of doing much. You didn't have a lot of time with them to train them. They didn't really want to be trained to do a lot. They wanted to go in, have a little fun, throw a punch, get a punch, you know, fall on their fanny or whatever they're going to do and then go home. That's what they wanted to do. Now I think that's going to change and you're going to see higher and higher and higher levels of participation. And I think the, 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 the impact, the positive impact for both, in this case, WWE, as we've been talking about, uh, and the celebrity, they're both going to benefit even more than they ever have. I also think there's even somewhat of a correlation. Maybe I'm reaching here a little bit, but Bad Bunny grew up a wrestling fan. Logan Paul grew up a wrestling fan. These are two guys who are in their mid to late 20s. When they grow up wrestling fans, it's the hottest period of wrestling ever. It's your era of wrestling that you helped run. And wrestling in pop culture is extremely relevant at that time. More people were watching pro wrestling than Monday Night Football some nights. So when people grow up on that, inherently it becomes part of a shared experience from their childhood. And if they have the opportunity to maybe participate in that later on in life, well, they recognize, well, there's some merit here for this on my brand. Again, just speculating, but I, I think there could be some merit to that. 
as I, I don't know if, it, if perhaps it's hard to project that or, or 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 gauge it, but at the very least, it's well. I grew up watching this. You know, it's one of the reasons I live. Why do you think I live in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming? Really, if the wind is blowing hard enough on the right day from the right direction, I could throw a frisbee from my deck and it would end up in Yellowstone National Park. Now, why do you think I live here? Because I grew up watching Westerns. I mean, I was a kid in Detroit, you know, and I think anybody that grows up loving something, watching something, begins to identify with that thing. And then when the opportunity arises, as it did for me and my family in 1998 to go, Hey, well, instead of just, you know, fantasizing about it, let's build a house there. Um, or if you're bad bunny or Logan Paul, Hey, instead of just being a fan of it going, wow, wouldn't that be cool? Now I've got enough credibility and leverage. I can actually go do it. And it'll be fun. I think growing up and watching it and be a fan of it, being a fan of it is a big deal. And I think the more we see the bad bunnies and the Logan Pauls of the world, the more attention they get, the more other celebrities or potential future celebrities are good, are going to look at this product and go hell yeah i'll do that because it's fun i think one of the the elements of the logan paul roman reigns match that made it so special was you knew logan paul wasn't being roman reigns but what if logan paul you know, i'll tell you what john i, I roman reigns i actually talked to conrad thompson I, I was going out of town or doing something yeah i had an appearance out of town so i knew i wasn't going to be watching it and Conrad and I talked about it. Conrad Thompson, of course, the you know the grand poobah of the Ad Free Shows podcast heat empire, um, the podfather, if you will. The of reason course. we're even here, for that matter. But I talked to Conrad, and we compared notes. He goes, what do you think is going to happen? You know, Crown Jewel. And I said, I, I don't know. But like you, I was, well, there's no way they're going to be. You know, first of all, it's, you know, Crown Jewel makes more money than any pay-per-view they've that they do actually it's made one crown jewel makes more money than all the WrestleManias they've ever done. I mean, it's kind of freaking nuts, right? But Insane. it's not a tentpole pay-per-view. Financially it is, but mm -hmm. it's not WrestleMania, it's not Royal Rumble, it's not Survivor Series. You know, there's a couple throughout the year that are considered tentpole events. So when I'm talking to Conrad, I said, man, I don't know, but, you know, it's probably business as usual as they're building up for whatever else they're building up for. And Connor said, no, I think, I think there's a chance that Logan beats him. And in my mind, I'm going, well, that's crazy, but it's Conrad. So I'm going to listen because he's really smart. <laughs> right, right. And, and as he laid it out to me, it made so much sense and did lead to, you know, the next step. It, it, that I actually hung up the phone and went, damn, now I want to watch it. And I was keeping track of it while I was out of town because I wanted to know if Conrad was right. It's pretty fun. Well, it played into the match really well where, like I said, on the surface you knew, ah, oh, he's not beating him. But then all of a sudden you're like, well, wait a minute. Logan Paul's really good at this. And if he shows that he's committed to working more events, imagine and, the brand. And, and not to interrupt you, yep. and it could make for a really good storyline moving forward because yeah. it implicated other people and kind mm -hmm. of brought other people to the next level in that story. That's the part that made me go, okay, it's not just a fun idea, but everybody kind of rises with an interesting tide at that point. I was going to say, then it becomes, okay, well, look at the merit of having a guy with the social media outreach, the YouTube outreach, the general outreach that Logan Paul has, and he's carrying around your championship. Yeah, I know I, a lot of traditionalists would cringe at that, but things change. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. The merit. No, I was just thinking about David Arquette, right? As you were saying, I was thinking well, oh, maybe, a little different. Maybe, little maybe different. deep down inside, everybody's going, yeah, but remember what happened when they did that with Arquette? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> little different, little different. Um, no, a lot different. Uh, you know, but uh, I wanna, hey, I want to be sure we're not beating up on Mr. Arquette. Of course not. David Arquette was a hundred percent committed he would have trained now he's you know he's a movie star so i'm in a movie uh, it was a what was it a las vegas movie there were a bunch of criminals in las vegas i can't remember what it was but arquette was in it with kevin costner it was a great movie so i mean david was a legitimate working actor at, at, at that point still is but he didn't care he's ready to go in there and jump off cages and do all kinds of silly shit 
He didn't care. He was committed. Um, but we didn't train him. We didn't give him the time. We didn't build a story. That was that was how you don't use a celebrity, by the way, yeah. just for the record. <laughs> well, so our our topic before was talking about how like now WWE doesn't really have to court these celebrities as much as they would have used to. So I'm curious in your experiences prior to that being the case, how did you find out if a celebrity was a wrestling fan and would be have potential interest in collaborating with you? Uh, I mentioned Charles Barkley. Why did Charles Barkley, you know, do his WCW Saturday night show with Ric Flair? Because he was friends with Ric Flair. <laughs> you know, why did a lot of the celebrities that participate back then participate? Because, yeah, they watched wrestling as a kid growing up, but yeah, I'm really friends with that guy over there. Mm-hmm. And that started to change in the, in the, you know, and I don't know what the situation was at WWE or especially in the early years. I don't want to suggest how that all came about, but in my case, um, whenever I would use a celebrity, it was either because somebody on my roster or somebody in my office had a relationship with them and okay. it made it easy to have a conversation or they reached out to us because so they it were did fans. Happen. It did happen where guys would reach out. Can you think of one specific example where someone reached out to you guys and you were able to come to something on that? Dennis Rodman. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Green. Yeah. And and it turned into good business for you guys on that sense. Uh, no doubt about that. So then let me ask you, in your opinion, who do you believe was the most important celebrity involvement in the history of pro wrestling? Is it Tyson? For me, it is. Without having the data, because I'm not a data geek. No, just on the eye test. On the eye test. But just, and a lot of this has to do with my perception of really the Monday night wars. And I remember John, I don't know if you've heard this story or not, but I remember exactly where I was. I could probably take you within two square feet of where I was standing. Wow. And I got a phone call from a, a friend of mine. who's no longer with us. His name is Zane Bresloff. When Zane called me and said, because Zane had, he had, he had his fingers inside of WWF at the time it was WWF, WWE. He knew people inside that he, because he used to work there and he still had a good relationship with some of them. And some of them were, a couple of them were, one of them in particular were very, very high level. And Zane called me because Zane worked for me at that point. <clears throat> I was out of town and he said, Eric, you're not going to believe what WWE is doing. Now, keep in mind, at this point, I'm kicking your butt every week. I'm outperforming WWE. Nobody ever thought that that could happen. Nobody in the wrestling peripheral media thought it was there was a chance, an ice cube's chance in hell that that would happen. And a year and a half later, I'm doing it. And I'm doing it every week, head-to-head, in a very profound and unambiguous manner. And I'm feeling cocky. I'm feeling good about myself. Hell, I just bought myself up my own airplane. And I'm starting to build a house in Wyoming because I grew up watching Bonanza. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I get this phone call from Zane. He goes, oh, Eric, you're not going to believe what they're doing. And at this point, I'm going, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. We're kicking their butts every week. What else? Okay, Zane, what are they doing? Zane was one of those guys that he just loved dirt. Like Zane Bresloff, Gary Juster, and Jim Barnett probably had more, spent more time talking on the phone than any 30 people combined inside of WCW at the time. Because they're bringing in Mike Tyson. My cocky, overconfident attitude just drained from my body. Because at that time, Tyson was hot. And more importantly, and you know how I feel about controversy, he was controversial. But he was he was like he was the baddest man on the planet. Doesn't matter about Holyfield, whatever. I don't know if that happened before or after. Can't remember. Doesn't matter. I think it was. I think it was before actually. It was. Uh, yeah, it was before because I won some big money on that fight. By the way, big money on that fight. <laughs> 
I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But when Zane told me that they were bringing in Tyson, I knew that that was a seismic shift in, well, I didn't know, but I believed. My instinct told me it was a seismic shift in the way Vince McMahon was going to go forward with his business. Keep in mind that the WWE's business model and creative strategy that accompanied it was to create cartoonish, over-the-top, larger-than-life characters that appealed to a teen and preteen audience because that was their demographic. Their licensing, their merchandising models was all built on that demo. Their advertising demos were built on that demo. The entire company was built on teen and preteen. But when Zane told me that they're bringing in Mike Tyson, <clears throat> there was no one... <clears throat> more antithetical to that teen and preteen audience than Mike Tyson at that point. Mike Tyson was 18 to 49, 25 to 54 all day long. Thinking, wow, that's, that's going to be interesting. And then when they proceeded to literally along with Mike Tyson, using Mike Tyson, I think in many respects as a platform, because they knew they'd be getting in that 18 to 49 year old audience that they typically didn't get because they were too busy targeting teens and preteens. But by bringing in Tyson, because of his notoriety and his mainstream celebrity, which is what we're talking about here, and because of the audience that Mike Tyson appealed to at that time, Vince McMahon knew, I'm assuming we never had this conversation, but I'm assuming knew that, hey, we've got a whole platform here that we don't normally get, just like they have with Logan Paul, just like they did with Bad Bunny. What are we going to do with it? We're going to shift gears and we're going to we're going to debut, premiere, or establish what became the Attitude Era. And they did it off the platform with Stone Cold Steve Austin and Mike Tyson and Mr. McMahon, who became Mr. McMahon in that moment, or as a result of it. So I, I think that was, and may go down in history. I don't know that they'll ever be, look at Jerry Briscoe back there. <laughs> I love Jerry Briscoe. Look at Shane McMahon, he looks like he's 12. Yeah. Shane couldn't even grow a mustache back then. <laughs> That's awesome. I love Shane. He's a good dude. But I think that may go down in history as the most significant use of a celebrity because it was, in my opinion, the platform mm -hmm. to establish an entirely new creative strategy for the WWE that they knew they had to employ because I was using that same strategy to thrash them each and every week or actually not 83, it was 83 straight weeks, but it was a total of over 104 weeks. Before we wrap our conversation, I want to flip the perspective just a little bit here. On the converse to that, we have seen some professional wrestlers break out and become crossover superstars. They themselves become the celebrities. Obviously, The Rock. Mm -hmm. John Cena has done that. It sure as hell looks like Sasha Banks is well on her way to becoming someone like that. And there were wrestlers on your roster who had their opportunities in Hollywood as well. Bill Goldberg, Kevin Nash. Hulk what? Hogan. Well, I was going to get to Hogan. But yeah, yeah I was going to get to Hogan. Um, I was going to say, you know, Hogan is a guy that ultimately he, he has it and then he comes back and he goes back to working full time. And, and, but, and I mean, I threw that out there because of, you know, Hulk Hogan movies tend to be cult fan favorites for cult like reasons <laughs> but hulk, actually hulk was doing cult like movies prior to coming to wcw so let's we just gotta be total transparency 100 percent credibility on this show we are legitimate we have integrity we acknowledge what we should acknowledge i guess my question is throw <laughs> that graphic up again mr nanny come on now and that was a that was while he was with wwe you just want to make that clear. Yes. I sign off on Mr. Nanny. I wish I would have. I wish I got a piece of it, though. But, look, WWE had WWE uh, Studios for the longest time. They were cognitively trying to launch superstars. But is there a downside to that where guys then are no longer at your usage? Like, I think Roman Reigns is going to be a huge movie star one day. He's got the look. He's got the charisma. He's got the personality. But then that he's means you're the, he's got the contacts in Hollywood. <laughs> he's got the contacts in Hollywood. Yeah, he knows you know, a guy. He's actually related <laughs> to a guy that can say no. 
He's in my movie. <laughs> yeah, he knows. He knows a couple guys. Yes, sir, but Mr. Johnson, yes, sir. That's what. Yes, sir. But my point is, then they're no longer at your usage. Is hmm. there more upside to that than downside? Look, if you've got somebody like let's take MJF in AEW. MJF is what twenty four years old, twenty six. I think he just turned twenty six. Yeah. Yeah. So you got MJF, who I think probably has the ability at some point in his life to play at whatever level of the entertainment business he chooses to. But if you're Tony Khan and all of a sudden MJF gets a part in an opportunity to be in a big movie, and once he does, you know he's not coming back, then, yeah, it's bad. It's not a good thing for you. And, yeah, maybe he can come back once or twice, and you could tell everybody you helped create that star, but at the end of the day, he's not there for you. He's too busy making 15, 20, 30 million dollars, or in the case of The Rock, I don't know, whatever he makes. But yeah, your guy that you used to have under contract for X amount of dollars a year is now making four times that much or 10 times that much for doing a movie. <laughs> so that's not good. But you use John Cena. John Cena was at the end of his in ring career. You know, if you really look back, and John is a friend of mine, number one, and he's a good, He's a good dude. Forget all your, you know, negative wrestling fan. Yeah, but all that, throw all that out. He was really, really good for the industry. He was, I mean, he was good for the industry in general, and he was really good for WWE. But I think even John, and I've never had this conversation with him, would say, yeah, but I didn't really break into movies in a serious way that compromised my WWE schedule until I was ready to retire. Mm -hmm. arguably rock might have taken an early exit he, rock was probably closer to the apex of his popularity when he decided to make movies the full-time thing or he may have felt that he was on the downtrend or just decided look before i start you know trending down i'm going to jump off this train as dusty Rhodes used to say i'm going to jump off this lightning bolt before it hits the ground and jump on another one um, I love that saying. From Dusty. I don't know if he made it up, but I always attribute it <laughs> to him. So it, I think it all depends is my long winded way of saying it all depends. Well, and then look what bringing the rock back in 2011, 2012, 2013 did for WWE. There was a lot of legit interest. He broke out in the fast and furious movies, came back as a big time star. And now if he has one more match in WWE down the line, perhaps even imminently in the next few months at WrestleMania, think about the mass appeal and interest that will be in seeing him one last match, the biggest star in Hollywood. There's got to be something to that, too. It's mind-numbing when you think about it. You know, my question is always, what does he really want to do? Because, you know, Rock's, I mean, beyond a physical specimen, and, and, and is in incredible shape, and I'm sure many, many, many ways, perhaps limitless, like my good friend Chris Hemsworth, who's in the Limitless series on National Geographic as we speak. Uh, but he hasn't been bouncing around in the rain a long time, and he's got stuntmen that you know take all the, take all the bumps that he's got to take in the movies. Does that guy really want to get in the ring and bounce around? Because a guy like Rock, who grew up as an athlete, a second generation wrestler, third, I don't know, a couple generations at least. Does he want to go in there and have a match that isn't quite what his matches used to be? Guys like that, man, their, their pride, their ego, probably hard to separate the two at that level. They don't want to go out there and disappoint the audience or themselves. And then you have to ask yourself the question, can I really do it? Because I've been out of that game for a long time. Wrestling isn't like riding a bike. It's more like flying an airplane. I know a lot about riding bikes and I know a fair amount about flying airplanes. When you learn how to ride a bike, it becomes an instinct and you can pretty much until you're just too old to get up on a bike, ride a bike. You don't have to practice it much and you're probably going to do okay. You can learn how to fly an airplane as I did. You can become licensed in high performance, complex aircraft. As I did, you, become, you can become licensed in said high-performance complex aircraft with an instrument rating, which means you could basically fly blind, as I did. But I learned that if you don't fly at least three or four times a week, 
you start to lose that skill set. Mm. You, you, it's not like riding a bike. And if you don't do it every day, it could be, you could, it's dangerous. And that honestly, I don't know why I got off on this subject, but it's one of the reasons I sold my airplane. I learned the hard way that when I had the money, I didn't have the time to fly. When I had the time, I had to figure out a way to make more money, which meant I lost time. You know what I mean? It was hard. I wasn't retired. I wasn't independently wealthy. So I, I got to a point, you know, and somewhere in the early 2000s, where I said, look, I haven't flown in this plane in three months. I'm not sure I want to put my wife in this plane now. Hell, I'm not even sure I want to get in this plane now. That's when I knew it was time to sell the plane. And I think once, whether you're The Rock or you're John Cena, whomever, and you've been out of that business for a long time, and the temptation is to get back in it, you've got to be really, really prepared. And I'm sure I'm not saying anything that guys like Rock and John Cena don't know tenfold more than I do, but it's not as easy as people think. And it's dangerous. Yeah. And then look, we might even get super meta where you see a Logan Paul versus a John Cena in a celebrity versus celebrity part-time wrestler versus part-time wrestler match, which is not out of the realm. That'd be weird. That's just weird. But it could happen. No, it could happen. I mean, I, you know, creatively speaking, do I see it happening? Not like tomorrow. Not at Logan Paul said in an interview this week that that's a match he wants. And I mean, man, would that be wild? That'd it would wild. get a lot of interest. It would get a lot of interest. So this is a really cool conversation, Eric. I really like this. Anything else you want to add on top of it? Nope. I'm I'm heading to. Uh... I mean, literally, as this episode drops, I'm in Minnesota visiting my brother and my sister uh, and uh, my nephew and his wife and um, my wife's family and enjoying Thanksgiving like I hope everybody else is. But even though you may be enjoying Thanksgiving, I'm glad you're listening to this show because it typically drops on Thursdays. We all know what that's going to be like. But um I hope uh, I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving and and enjoys their time with friends and family. Likewise here, get that turkey cooking, throw on Strictly Business as it bases in that oven, or if you're smoking it, whatever you're doing, enjoy your Thanksgiving. We appreciate you guys, and we'll see you next week right here on Strictly Business. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.